I'm ready to go. Uh, now, I'm warning you. Listeners may get a You're sound. warning me. I'm warning you that the you may get a taste of what it's like to live out in the country. Uh, and I will or, not or mute. Or a speedway. I, will, I won't be able to mute all lo- of I the like things how, going on. I, I like how we'll get a taste of what it's like to live out in the country, meaning really <laughs> loud motorcycles. Yeah. Also, hay trucks today. Hay trucks. Uh, hay trucks. Hay trucks. Hay truck. Yeah, there's a lot of hay trucks around today. Uh, everybody's <laughs> cutting hay, and there's just huge trucks that, hauling wait, it all over the place. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um. We're having a beer that will leave us, uh, unlike the other beers, coherent at the end of the show, I'm thinking, because it's a, it's a session amber ale. So that's not something you hear a lot of. I'm over here. Give me a second. Oh, okay. I'll yeah, give you as recording. many seconds as you need. This, show, this is the show, right? This is the show. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm back. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know that I want to know what you're doing. Mm, Are you stuff. opening your beer? Just My stuff. beer's open. Gotcha. It's Beers poured. I got. I got to pour it. Hold on. It's got got a nice head on it. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> yes. I'm, op- I'm pouring this beer. Oh, is it? It is an amber ale. Look at that. I. Um, hey, this wait, is an interesting wait, one because I don't we, usually drink amber ales. What we're drinking here? I haven't drunk any of it yet. I'm pouring it. It's beautiful. It's a lovely color. This is a lovely beer you sent me. I don't know if it's lovely yet. Oh, we'll I haven't see had if it's, it. It's, uh, I've heard good things about it, but it's not something that we normally drink. So, um, right. This is, uh, I don't even, it's Impy Barbicane's Moon Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a collaboration with Duclaw, who we have had in the past, and Cigar City Brewing um, from Tampa. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that we've had any cigar city but they make some excellent beers they're hard um, to get here are they there's there's some weird stuff going on now with breweries um just trying to order some kegs and oh, apparently gosh, the breweries so out west are, are are cutting shipments um beyond uh kind of the rockies because of the water crisis so oh weird yeah a bunch of the smaller breweries i can't get out here anymore um then t- until they I guess um, figure out but how you to, were how able to, to get without the, water. <laughs> they're moving uh, knee deep out there, though, right? They're from California. Yeah, I think knee deep opened a new production facility. Um, oh, I see. I think okay. that's how they're they're able to to do that. But a lot of the <laughs> no. beers I used to be able to get are now being pulled back. And uh, boy, the way things are going, no. you, they might make all all beer on the East Coast. Yeah, that's where we keep the water. <laughs> That's where we keep all the water. I, I, uh, I can make fun. I lived in California through many, many droughts. Yeah, this, this is, is a this biggie. is a pretty severe one. But yeah, I remember not being able to swim, not being able to uh, water our lawn, or any yeah. of that good stuff. The uh, the other beer that I'm a huge fan of from Cigar City is High Lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my. I've had it. I've you heard have it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, one of our listeners, Ken, is always talking about how it's one of his favorite beers, and I tried it, and he is not wrong. So it I, wanted, is I wanted to hit a little bit on. So this is a session beer, I think, which right. is interesting. It's a it's a currently a popular style. It's being popularized by a lot of the small craft breweries. I have opinions. As you can really, guess. do yeah. say. Huh. I've tried really hard to have opinions about this. Uh, I think that it has become a popular style for two reasons. The extreme IPA trend 
has turned some people off because they're really heavy. They're really, they have a lot of alcohol. Um, they are less flavorful or, or the, the extreme IPAs are more flavorful. The session beers are less flavorful, which I think they pair a lot better with a lot of different things and they go better with like actually doing other stuff during the day. <laughs> So, so session beers are like great <laughs> for doing lawn work because a session beer, by definition, I think is uh, less than five percent alcohol. And so this is five percent. Yeah, this, uh... many are. Many I've I've had are three percent, four percent. That that's pretty pretty good for like you can have a couple while you do lawn work and it doesn't affect you at all or it doesn't affect right. me. I'm I'm a pretty big guy. Yeah, and, and uh, your liver is is operating I'm, at I'm, optimal. I'm mostly liver. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's see that adventure that. time where he, where he gets poison. Jake gets poison and he makes his liver grow. Oh, no. like a, a thousand fold. <laughs> that's a great poison. idea. Yeah, that's me. Can we do that? That's me with beer. Uh, so sessions are cool for a couple reasons. I think. So my opinion is, I think they came about primarily because of that push. But I also think the added benefit of their lower cost to produce is factored in there a little bit. Because you need, uh, you don't need to have as much sugar to ferment to make the alcohol, but they're harder to brew in some regards to make them taste good. Most sessions, I think, aren't that great. Like the when you, especially when you compare it to their normal version. Like I haven't yeah. tasted this yet. I'm gonna guess it tastes good based on the breweries, but probably not as good as if those breweries just made a standard amber. Right, that, yeah. that would probably be much more flavorful, much. Yeah, we're, more we're rich. totally on the same page, uh, right? Because you actually told me about uh, Stone's Go To IPA, which is yeah. uh, similar thing. That what they've done differently with that is they've they've added uh, a lot of hop oils to boost the the bitterness, which is what Stone is want to do, um, which which gave it um, a bit more flavor. But I just. The thing with session beers is they don't have a lot of body. Yeah, they go f- they go flat in your mouth real quick. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and like you said, if you if you're sitting around and you know you're going to be drinking a few of them because it's a hot day and you know and you you feel like drinking a couple beers, um, you can drink these. <laughs> well, we could drink these pretty much all day long and not have any. Uh, ill effects pretty much right and and they're actually pretty thirst quenching i think in general because of the lower alcohol the lower sugar they're not as sticky exactly right yeah Uh, typically the bitterness is much lower if they do have bitterness Uh, what uh you've probably had this one probably the first session beer i ever really had it was highlighted as session beer was the anchor small beer have you ever had that one no i've never had that one uh that's their and it's this is how I misinterpreted what a session was originally because of the way Anchor, I think either they advertised it or I just knew the Anchor small beer is the second runnings of their barley wine, basically. Uh, okay. And second yeah. runnings are like you've you've drained the, the liquid from the grain where you extracted all that sugar and converted all that sugar to something fermentable. You extract that first run, which is thick sweet, you know, syrupy kind of in, te- in flavor, if you've ever tasted it when you're brewing. Uh, it's kind of, you know, syrupy, sweet. Then you wash the grain, again, to get the rest of the sugars out, and that's the second running. And you can actually make a beer out of that, and that's how tip- 
I, th- I thought typically they made session beers. I think that has changed dramatically with technology and yeah, probably um, the application um, of additional science and everything. But session beers really came from basically people wanting to drink and not get drunk. Like they came out of World War One when they were making munitions. People worked all day long, like twenty-four hour shifts, but they got four-hour breaks. So no they idea. would they would do these really long work days, and they would have four days, four hours off. But they knew they had to go back to work. They mostly wanted to hang out at the pubs during those four hours, but they needed to be able to work. So they would wow. they made session beers for them that were okay. low alcohol. They could sit there for four hours, drink, chat, eat, whatever, have fun, and at the end of the four hours, be basically sober to go back and make munitions. <laughs> yeah, you want to be sober yeah. while making munitions. So um, utilitarian. It's a utilitarian beer. It is. Yeah, and we we've done a few Belgians uh, as well, and I know that there are certain Belgian beers. Uh, that are made in Belgium that are um, like they're named by they usually have have numbers in the name so it's like 12 8 you know 10 or whatever and those um, those numbers are generally the gravity of the beer and they're determined by which running of the beer it is so there's a you know if you get a a 12 uh, West Fletter and 12 or something like that. That's the first runnings and they all go all the way down to four or six, which you can only get really in Belgium. Um, but it's a, it's a nice, uh, way to understand like the 12 is obviously super strong, super flavor, flavorful. And then they go down to kind of like their standard pub fare when they get down to, uh, uh, you know, the, the fours and sixes, depending on the brewery. So anyway, oh, cool. Yeah. I so actually did not know that. Thanks for teaching me something. Yeah. Well, for a change. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it's cool. That's, uh, that's good to know. So you want to, you want to, Taste this thing and see yeah, if we're gonna spit it, it out. Let's see how it is. I, I can I easily grab a different fine. beer. You know. Hey, that's pretty good. It's more bitter than I thought it would be. Yeah, definitely more bitter. Honestly, with my eyes closed, this I would call this pale ale. Yeah, I, I would too. I'm kind of surprised that the it has a super bitter finish, but it has more flavor than I thought it would. Um uh yeah, it's basically what I think of uh, of all good session beers. Yeah, up front yeah. there's a lot of grain character. The um, sharpness of the hops comes out, and then it's gone <laughs> really quickly. Yeah, exactly, it I just am disappears. left with a little bit of um, almost like a smoked grain flavor to it. Yeah, this is really. I, I'm actually um, a little bit the of second, um, second flavor is even the second taste is even better. A little no. bit of acidity in it. Yes, astringency. Astringency. Um, so mine's fifty-five point two, which I would say is pretty ideal. warmer than that, and I would not like this beer much at all. Yeah, I, mine is fairly cold too. I had it in the bottom of the of the beer fridge, uh, which is usually a little bit colder at the bottom, and uh, it's it's the glass is sweating. I mean, it's pretty hot. Well, it's right probably now. like ninety degrees and one hundred ten percent humidity. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, but uh, you know, this is—it's drinkable. Yeah, I, very drinkable. I would have this mowing the lawn. Absolutely. You know, there's there's other things. There's lots of things that I want to be pretty much completely sober for driving. <laughs> this that's, is yes, probably I would agree. Top. Um, uh, working, going to work. <laughs> this is, no, is <laughs> yeah, another well, one optional. <laughs> mowing the lawn, <laughs> uh, chainsaw, 
hatchet work, <laughs> you know, ice <laughs> ice carving, uh, and, chainsaw uh, work. I think, and is I would say working on my computer. Like I, uh. I typically don't want to drink a lot, and then say uh, try to do terminal commands on my computer or 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 replace a hard drive or set up a new computer (laughs) Uh, setting up a new computer well that's something i have some experience with in the last few days so this is be a good topic few hours yeah actually it's uh, yeah so i think we're going to talk about uh setting up a new mostly a new mac i have i have a couple comments about setting up a (laughs) As I as I have coined in my map here, shitty PC. Uh, yeah, that was in your show notes. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have. Uh, I don't know if you looked at them. the The shared show notes is pretty pretty lengthy. Oh, I haven't looked. You at haven't. Them. You'll, of course, you haven't. <laughs> I I just figured since I lived it for the last two You're days, a pro. It's, it's all in You're my a head. Pro. All of the pro, agony is pro in my head. Login. Uh, uh, Pro podcasting. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, so I bought a new machine well, a couple weeks ago, and you uh, <laughs> avoided <laughs> buying a new machine a yeah, couple days ago. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I I really screwed up my machine installing development tools. Actually, it was uninstalling development tools. Um, you you followed my suit. I, I did. Right before, right before my, maybe a week before my new machine was due to arrive, I did something installing Xcode and the command line tools, and whatever that did completely borked certain aspects of my machine so that lots of applications failed, like BBEdit failed, like um, crashed <laughs> when, on launch. When, when BBEdit crashes, you got problems. Yeah, because BBEdit's solid, right? So, like, and and to their credit, like, BB Edit was probably the best as far as be, before I figured out what was wrong. I was like, "Hey, BB Edit's crashing." I submitted a support ticket, and they were like all over that. Uh, eventually, I, I said, "You know what, guys? Just disregard this. I think there's <laughs> something fundamentally again. wrong here." So at that point, I just decided, "You know what? I'm giving this computer to my wife anyways. I'm going to do a nuke and pave and just completely." start from scratch on it so so that's a, a phrase that i've been hearing in that's the last an old few days. windows phrase for it, me yeah it, it well it's a it's a phrase that i think everybody seems to be comfortable with but i'd never heard before as a common thing nuke and pave yeah. um you, didn't but you, apparently you a windows guy yeah i was I just, a windows guy in the 90s and and nuke and pave was what you did every year every yeah year but i never you, called it that i never oh, heard didn't? it called that until this week no that's a, weird it's yeah. an old slang. I, I wish I knew where it came from. I'm sure it comes from, I don't know, a book or something or a movie. Yeah, who knows? Know. But uh, yeah, that is, that's always the question for me. Um, I actually had, um, I had run out of space. I have a MacBook Air 13 inch and I had run out of space and yet I deleted most of the stuff that I needed to delete. So I, I suspected it was... Uh, this is uh, you know, last November, December, something like that. And you already um, got rid of all your uh, iOS backups that yeah, get squirreled all away. My iOS backups. You know, I have Daisy Disk, right? So I use that to identify oh, what's yeah. taking up the most space. And it was all of this stuff where it's like, I don't know what will blow up if I delete this stuff, you know? And, but at the same time, it was probably just junk that it accumulated over the last, because I'd never, I'd never reinstalled anything on that Mac. So it was probably three years old. 
uh, worth of stuff. And I thought, well, I am going to start from scratch. And I think that is, there's always two things, and it says it in the show notes, uh, two things that you, you, you have to make a choice of. Do you want to start from scratch or restore from a backup? And I think it really is dependent on what you want to do. Like, what's the goal? In my case, I was trying to remove a lot of junk. And the only way you can really do that safely, in my mind, is you back up all your important stuff, delete everything, and then reinstall the OS and start all over. Um, and I delete it, everything. You don't really have to delete everything. Well, right? you know what I mean. In that case, I, you just reformat. Reformat. That's what I meant. Yeah, reformat. So anyway, what, what's your what are your criteria around whether you do one or the other? Uh, usually, when I get a new machine, I'll I'll do the reformat. You know, if I'm if I'm keeping the old machine, I'll do a form a reformat on the old machine and do something with it. You know, hand it hand it down to somebody. Very common. Yep. Or convert it to a little server or whatever. Yeah, Especially my, sell it. <laughs> I'll reformat my, my it before I sell it. My kids are using my older uh, MacBook Air. Yeah, and it's been serving so, them well. So. And I do that, uh, the internet restore that we got, I don't know, Leopard or something like that, provided that option where the command option R, you boot into a version of the OS that basically downloads the OS from the internet and then boots. Yeah, I so think it's Lion a totally was the first one clean, that did that. Yeah, totally clean version of the OS. It's not from that partition that's squirreled, you know, squirreled away on the drive that you can't usually see. It's brand new, clean version of the OS. And from there, you can uh, launch the disk utilities, reformat the drive, no problem because your boot the at that point you're it's all in memory for the yep. uh, for the operating system. Pretty crazy. And then you do the install and that's it. And then at that point you should have a brand spanking new machine. Yeah, Which, it's, it's as if you just bought a new one and took it out of the box. I mean, yeah. it's 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 clean. I see the problem that I had um, recently is I had, uh, as everybody's probably aware, this is probably, if you're going to hear this a couple weeks from now, but um, WWDC just happened and all of the new dev tools came out. So I was going to delete the old version of Xcode from my machine and then install the beta and see how it worked. But um, I'm running a Hazel, which we've talked about before, and I guess there was a bug in the uninstall. I, I don't know where it, it originated, but what happened was when I deleted Xcode, it looks like it tried to, to, to delete my user's library and preferences. And it didn't give me an error until it hit the first file that was in use, which was like, you can't delete user slash library in use. And I'm like, uh, what? What did it just do? Um, and it was because Hazel was trying to run its cleanup. It, like it does an extra cleanup for you. Like once you drag something to the trash, it's like, hey, I found a whole bunch of files that you probably want to get rid of too because they belong to whatever the app is. Well, apparently everything belongs to Xcode. And when I said, sure, Hazel, do me a favor, get rid of all this junk because my machine, you know, I don't want Cruft sitting around. And <laughs> yeah. it deleted every setting. Whoops. So my net my network settings usually you go in there it's got all of your wi-fi connections your bluetooth your uh your ethernet that, that's connection that's truly nuke 
Yeah. <laughs> it's truly nuking. <laughs> that was, so I, I went into those network settings and it was completely blank. And when I would, whenever I would hit plus to add one, my machine would reboot. reboot. So I knew something was probably wrong. I'm no genius, but I'm just guessing. And um, so what I did is I clicked on, there's a little wizard to help you like discern what's wrong with your machine. And that actually allowed me to create a temporary network connection, um, even though it wouldn't save it, but it didn't crash. And so I used that that lifeline to just back everything up <laughs> to to either Dropbox or to my, I have a nifty drive where I, was, I saved it there. I saved it to my Synology. I just, I sent stuff out as I needed to. And once I was pretty sure that I had everything backed up that I needed, like my Sublime Text libraries and all that stuff, I was like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> you know, do I just install over top of this, uh, you know, install the OS over top of it and hope it no. recovers everything? No. No. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going through the thought process because I know this is part of what, what we're talking about in the show. So I went through the process of like, do I do this? Do, each one is more and more extreme. And then I was finally like, you know what? The only safe way to do this is the nuke and pave. So that's what I did. So that's what I've been doing the last three days. Clean install. Yeah. Well, to be fair, you weren't actually doing the, the nuke and pave part for three days. <laughs> that's <laughs> you, true. I guess paving, I just, maybe. I did the <laughs> nuke first. <laughs> and well, then I did fast. the extra nuke. Yeah. yeah. I, I did the mistaken nuke. I, I dropped one by accident and then, and then I set one off for real. And then I, uh, I was doing the paving. Um, but it, so when we talk, when we're talking about, uh, we talked about clean install, but what kind of settings and things do you save when you're setting up the Mac? Like, do, what kind of things do you save off when you know you're going to be doing a, a, a nuke and pave? You don't want to start completely from <laughs> well, scratch, if I, right? If I haven't uh, accidentally deleted my user yeah. <laughs> folder, Let's just I will say create a, a bootable backup using something like SuperDuper. And that's like, you know, it's more or less a clone of the disk, and I can boot into it and get what I want, you know. Oh. That see, kind of stuff. See, yeah. this is where I'm a moron. If, if, um, you, if you have that already, you're all set. You can always recover that. Uh, how time. often do you do that backup to SuperDuper? Uh, I don't really create new backups very often anymore because I don't like to have external drives connected to my machine yeah. perpetually. Yeah. They're too... Because I, I have a MacBook Pro as my primary machine, I like to just like unplug and walk away without worrying about mounted drives. Yeah, I'm the same and, way. And having external drives around, you know, it, it gets upset. And then you have to close all these warning windows and worry about data loss and blah, blah, blah. So Yeah, yeah I, I'm with every, you. About once a quarter, I will create a new version. Usually I just create one that is pretty good and then just store that. On an yeah. SSD, SSD is the way to go, man. Boots, so here's, so like here's what lightning I did. fast. I did something very similar to that. I, I basically, you had uh, mentioned it, and uh, a couple other folks in the chat that we uh, frequent mentioned a super duper. So I thought, well, I'll try it uh, when I did this in November, December. And once I got my machine like in that kind of perfect state where everything was installed everything was updated all the settings were working all of you know everything was kind of set up the way it needed to be i did a mirror of that to super duper and i saved it off to a little tiny you know mm -hmm. uh, external drive and i thought this is going to be perfect the problem was since i don't do that too regularly i was faced with this question uh on thursday which is 
if I restore from that super duper, my machine will be in the same state it was in in November, December, but... Mm -hmm. But it'll have a all, user folder. It'll, it'll, it'll have a user <laughs> folder, but it also is going to have all of my old settings. It's, it's not, I've, I've actually yeah, it won't be, done a lot of good stuff since then. It'd probably be wanna, less than ideal. Exactly. But um, it would be functional. I, I usually have that around so that I at least have a functional machine with most of the stuff working. Like my Hazel rules would mostly be there. My macros, my... yeah. Uh, yeah. All that kind of stuff would mostly be there at that point. Well, so that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, as far as these restorations, I do uh, so, and I'm going to look through your list because we you're do, cheating. I'm cheating, and I and I'm trying to go from memory, but I've noticed there's I've, a lot of overlap. I prepared. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have a, I have a methodical list because oh I actually knew. I was going to be doing this in advance, right? You, you didn't, to be fair, you didn't really plan to do this. Whereas no. <laughs> I purchased a machine. I made sure money was in my account. I clicked a button and then I clicked yeah. another button to approve and then got a shipping notification. So I have plenty of time. So I yeah. made a list. We'll see. I keep a list. Uh, so, of, but, but I my think, software. but so here's some of the things that are on your list that are interesting in that you don't need to prepare so much for them. Meaning, Alfred, uh, you can set it up to save a backup to your Dropbox. Um, Hazel, you can you can save off your rules to Dropbox, although I ran into an issue with that. Keyboard Maestro, you can save that off to your Dropbox, although I ran into an issue with that. Text Expander syncs with Dropbox. Um, One Password obviously syncs with Dropbox. Um, so one of the things that I, when I knew I had to do this, I actually went into Sublime Text, created a new file. Um, that was like, you know, reinstall computer or something like that. And um, one of the things that I, that I always run into when I'm reinstalling is I don't remember all the apps I had installed. So I open up terminal, <laughs> um, yeah. change directory to applications and do an LS with a greater than sign and pipe it out to a text file. So Wh which gives, applications folder is that? Uh, I'm doing my main user applications folder, not my personal one, because most of the stuff that's in there is just yeah. junk anyway. Um, just just pointing out that there's actually multiple. There's two, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. But I guess the point I was trying to make is a lot of the things that I was worried about are already in Dropbox, which is goes back to the show we had last week, uh, which was like how when your Dropbox was hosed, we were kind of <laughs> in trouble, right? Because if everything's backing up to Dropbox, it makes all this stuff easy when you start up Dropbox on a new machine. Yeah. Um, that said, That's pretty great. if your Dropbox has 38 or 48 gigs on it, uh, there's some things that you need to do to make sure that you're not just, uh, you know, waiting for a day or two for your Dropbox to download to the new machine. Um, I've actually made a little recipe, which is kind of what your list is here of, here's the exact order I need to do things to get my computer up and running quickest. Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean a recipe? Well, It's a script? No, I didn't write a script. I basically wrote a little uh, list of things. I called it a recipe because it was like, first do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. It was like, first install Dropbox, then go into Dropbox settings and go into selective mode or whatever you call it. And turn off every folder except for backups, which I have a backups folder on Dropbox. 
because that means that backups is going to sync first, which means I'll have my one password <laughs> downloading quicker than, you know, waiting for my ebooks or comic books or whatever, you know, to download. Um, so when I go into selective mode, I basically turn off all folders except for the ones that have the critical stuff in them, which is, is essentially my backups folder, my one password folder. And, uh, at this point, my Devon think folder, um, and then I wait for that sync to finish, and then I start installing other things because everything else I use, I'm either going to use uh, my next thing I install is one password, right? So now I need I needed my one password file from Dropbox so that I could log into everything else and install it. It's like you know if I do it out of order, it, and just start downloading stuff from the App Store, I'm going to be waiting forever for Dropbox to finish. But I don't know. You might have all this stuff saved off and just move it in. I don't know how you do it. I Well, you want me to finish the backup part? Yeah, go ahead. So before I do any of that, Dropbox has its own stuff. I don't worry about what Dropbox has. I assume it's all there as it's supposed to be. Then uh, Backblaze also has basically a copy of my local disk. Then I have a Time Machine copy occasionally. Uh, I don't keep Time Machine because I don't, like I said, I don't like external drives connected. So I could use my NAS, but Time Machine's a little stupid and sometimes gets confused and says, I can't use this backup anymore. Would you like me to create a new one? And Ugh. then you end up with a bunch of, bunch of time, time Machine images of your machine, which that's not super valuable. Time Machine, I, don't, I think that's great for uh, a certain level of user. I think it, it's a <laughs> yeah. sufficient uh, way to recover something to a, a previous state. I don't think it's very good for backups, for like really robust backups. I've actually had um, my wife is a film editor, and uh, she needed to install a Windows VM to use a specific app. And when we tried to install the VM, it said you don't have enough contiguous drive space uh, to make the partition. <laughs> That's helpful. Yeah, really helpful. So what we did uh, was, this was a bit of a, a Hail Mary, but I was like, well, we have the, you know, I have a time capsule. So there's a time machine backup of everything. I've never done this before, but we can try it. So we basically made sure that it was up to date on time machine. And we completely nuked her machine. And then it said, do you want to restore from backup and we picked the time capsule, and it restored everything to the exact second that we did the backup. I was so completely surprised that it worked. When um, it works, it's awesome. It's, it's a and I have definitely used it to recover something. So downsides to Backblaze is that uh, if you delete something, you'll only be able to retrieve it, I think, for like three months or something like that. It's, it's a fairly short amount of time. So you have to realize you deleted it pretty quickly to go recover it. Upside, you can recover it from pretty much anything that has a web browser, and they'll more or less like email you a link that you can then download a zip of what you're trying to recover. So that's that's pretty nice. You don't have to have the original machine. You don't have to have access to a drive or anything. Uh, there's other solutions other than Backblaze, but I find uh, Java apps stink, and they don't really perform well for me. And they, about crash plan? <clears throat> yeah, they uh, they use up all my bandwidth for really inefficient um, uploads compared to Backblaze. Back I've never noticed a performance issue. 
they peg my CPU, Crash Ram plug pegs my CPU constantly. So I yeah, don't really it like it. It did for me too. I, like that's, that. a, that's originally what made me get rid of it. Um, yep. I got, I replaced ba- uh, Crash Plan with Crash Plan with Backblaze my uh, last fall. Yeah. I, it's I, been I like, fine. I like it well enough. It, it, it's good for what it does. And I have used that. And in fact, I used it for recovering something. It was just the easiest way for me to recover it this uh when i set up this new machine it was it was a file in my downloads folder that i had downloaded almost the day before i got the new machine so it's just like ah oh, i wish i had that that file again and it wasn't life or death and i just went to backblaze and click 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 okay and then they sent me an email and i downloaded it no problem so not bad the, yeah it was it worked. Yeah, I mean, and I think having a few sources, like for me, my worry is always, is there something that I forgot to back up? You know, like, right. did I save the right settings folder and stuff like that? And I did have, like I mentioned, I had some issues with Keyboard Maestro and... Uh, yes, I had, I had issues with Keyboard Maestro. Yeah. Not like what I thought I had synced through Dropbox wasn't exactly. really there. Yeah, so exactly. I was able to recover it um from a backup but still, that's exactly whatever. what i did um is is it i saved off a, a a library but apparently that's not what i want to save i want to save the macros but then i didn't save all the macros and yep. so i found a whole bunch of stuff was missing when i put it back in so i wish that was a little bit easier to discern what it was doing but um you know i recovered from it it was fine there was a few other settings um Alfred seemed to uh, recover very quickly. Um, or some of the other big ones that were like, uh, you know, there was a few of them where I, I tried to get everything set up and I was like, uh-oh, oh, I know what it was. Um, we use Exchange uh, for work. And um, the the Microsoft Office version of uh, Outlook I I always have trouble remembering what's checked and what's not and what server do I use and all that stuff in the account settings. So I was smart, or so I thought, and took some screenshots of the settings page for the mail servers. And I thought, (laughs) this is a great idea. A Um, a joy. uh, Unfortunately, I didn't take one of the advanced settings, which was the one I needed. So (laughs) I'm like, I'm just going through configuring stuff again. I'm looking through my settings that I took screenshots of. And the one page that I needed, I did not take a screenshot of. And of course, that took me like, you know, 30 minutes to to figure out what what needed to be plugged into which box. So, yep, yep, I did the uh, settings. I for this first time ever, because I always figure IMAP is really easy to just get set up. No big deal. But it always is a kind of a pain. Well, here's my pro tip. Uh, Create secure notes in 1Password. Oh, yeah. Settings. And you can even put screenshots in there. That's actually where I ended up putting them this time. Uh, They're all in there for settings. I put the... um, uh, the the IMAP settings, my Outlook settings, basically anything that I thought I was going to need to remember if this happens again, it's all in one password now, which was so yeah. helpful. All my, all my license keys, all most, license of, my, keys. most yeah. of my license keys are in there, the ones that I've remembered. And one password is pretty sweet because if you put in an app name 
if it matches an app in your applications folder, it will automatically get the icon of the app. So it's really easy to find in the list. Yep. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, you can put in the email that you purchased it with. Don't forget, many of them require you to input the original email address you used. Yeah, I actually pain. went. I took this opportunity to um, get all that stuff in sync because sometimes uh, you have to enter a username and an email. And one password will save one, but not the other. Yeah. And so, you know, you go to log in and it's like, oh, that username's not recognized because it wants the email, but you put in your username, but you didn't save the username because it was maybe in a previous screen. So then you're like, hmm, which email did I use for this? How did I set it up? What time period was it that I was using? Yep, yep. It's such a pain. So that's that's one of the very first things I restore, obviously, is one password. And... I moved a bunch of stuff out of Dropbox partly because of this exact reason of setting up new machines. I don't get new machines that often, maybe every three years, something like that. But that initial download of Dropbox is always a pain. It's a lot of data. And then I end up thinking like, why am I carrying all this data around with me in Dropbox on every machine, right? It doesn't make sense. And I don't really like their implementation of Selective Sync. I don't think it's uh, convenient so what I ended up doing was moving most of that off to my NAS. And on my uh, NAS, interesting. I, keep, I keep all my application installers. So here, here's another pro tip for you. Create a Hazel rule for your downloads folder. Anything that's uh, like a DMG or anything like that, automatically Hazel copies it to uh, a deep freeze archive for installers on my NAS. So I have all kinds of installers over there. I think I have several versions of Skype too. But what happens? I guess y- y- I know the answer to this already, but I'll ask it. What? What? Ha- see, the thing with Dropbox is it's very easy to, to get to get started. You go to Dropbox.com, download the client, it installs. You pick the fault. I mean, you're right. The selective sync it's is way easier to connect to my network and mount the NAS and browse. Yeah, That's I guess the issue easier. was I I started this process at work. I it it started at work. And oh, I had yeah. a disabled machine at work. So yeah, that that would be the downside there. I mean, I could get to my NAS from work uh, through a browser. I have it hooked up so that I can tunnel through and everything. But I do keep some stuff in Dropbox, like my one password syncs, so that it's on my iOS. I keep all my text notes in yep. Dropbox. Yeah, I do the same that's, thing because uh, I use editorial, right? So there are some things that I depend upon Dropbox for, but I've really cut my Dropbox storage way down. And for like active files and things like that, I now use my Synology, um, what is it, Cloud Drive? Cloud, cloud Drive, yeah, Cloud yeah. Sync, I think they call it. Um, yeah, what is yeah. it? So I think we pretty much unsurprisingly do things in, in very much the cloud same station. order. Cloud that's Station, that's what it's called, that's Cloud it. Station. And it's basically Dropbox, except it uses your NAS for the file. Right. Um, it's pretty cool. Canonical file source. And once you install it, it's like Dropbox, you install it on your Mac. And once you in- install it on your Mac, it just starts slurping everything down to a local folder on your machine. And it works like Dropbox. When you're offline, you can work in it like a normal folder. When you connect, it realizes it and syncs all, all the changes. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, it's it has, a, has an iOS app. Works pretty well. Um, one of the things that I did uh, that helped me get kick-started on this process was um, I, I mentioned the things to do first, like things to do first, second, third, fourth, and, and, the, and the order in which I was selecting them yep. was based on what I needed to, 
to get started using, right? So uh, we mentioned Dropbox, then 1Password. Next up was Alfred, because I have a lot of stuff that's automated through Alfred. Sublime Text, which had the file that I'm looking at right now, which is my So you, your goal was to get back to your previous state. My goal was truly to start fresh. So I actually didn't restore a lot of my settings. No, for, I, for apps I, I, like I, Sublime Text. I did not restore my Sublime Text oh, really? settings. I set it up from scratch again because it doesn't happen often enough. If I, if I, this was an emergency recover, I would have totally done it that way because I wouldn't have planned to have time to do it. Whereas this, I, I actually planned to have like a weekend to do a bunch of stuff. And one of one task is setting up Sublime Text. I have to, I use the, um, commercial sublime text plugin for sftp that's how i do most stuff on my blog you know i i use F sftp all, all the time and so i had to set up all those connections which of course i keep in a one password note i had to set up all the packages but i set those up from scratch again assuming that i installed a bunch of crap that i didn't really need over the years that might happen <laughs> yeah. and this would give me a clean start to say okay clean out all my packages the ones that I that I'll use the ones that I'll use will be the ones that I need. And as I need them, I will then install them. Well, so for, I, for me, I spent so much time tweaking my Sublime Text settings, the fonts, the the everything. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't do that that much. Honestly. Yeah. I do I do it for the multi markdown uh, for uh, markdown editing. I have a couple overrides, but mostly I don't don't tweak it all that much. Well, it's not, it's, I guess it's tweaks, but it's also stuff that I've gotten used to uh, memory, muscle memory wise. So not having something and be like, oh, wait a second. What, what is it that I use the command shift G for? Like which package was that? <laughs> yeah. I've just been using it, you know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. filter That's lines. I got to go get it. It's easy to do with sublime text too, right? It's yeah. just a folder. You just copy the stuff over, copy it to the new location and you're golden you're, you're again. back up again. Yeah, it's been really handy. Um, the other thing that I did that I'd forgotten to do the last, the, this recent time, which I did the time in November and December, and thank goodness I did, was uh, back up my fonts. Um, oh, really? You yeah. have that many font, extra fonts? Well, I have a lot of fonts that are kind of like um, uh, sans serif things that I use for coding, like Source Code Pro, Input mm -hmm. Mono. Uh, you know, a lot of the ones that I, I tend to use in sublime text or a plain text editor that I'd like to have around, um, yeah. courier, uh, courier new, well, not courier new. There's the one courier prime. I think it's called, there's a few of them. There just would be a pain to track down. So I, I saved them off. Um, I, I, well, I, I save mine. Mine are on my NAS. Oh, okay. I just didn't install them. Yeah. I just figure when it, if it bothers me, I'll just go over there and grab the fonts out of the installer, you know, slash fonts. Directory. Yeah, and, I think. Then, then do it. Yeah, I, I think you're. You and I are kind of in the same boat in that, like this. There's this nuke and pave thing, but then there's the get it back to working state. And I, since I had nuked and paved in November, very, um, and I had a weekend to think about that one. It wasn't like a like an oh shit moment. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this. What do I need to have? What do I need to remember? Um, I backed up a lot of that stuff that I probably was like in, in my panic on Thursday. I was, I forgot. So the fonts I'd forgotten, um, you know, there's a few things that I had like moments where I was like, uh Oh, the other thing that I did when I mentioned, I did the LS, I piped the LS 
command out to a text file. I went through that text file. Uh, I deleted all the default Apple stuff because I knew that was going to come anyway. And then I prioritized by tier which things got installed first. Because there are yep. certain things that it you, turns you out I didn't need at all. Right? Yeah, yeah, I like, see it. I do, I do the same thing. I, I say these are like my prime apps. These are my prime services. And yes. I start with things that are like services, like menu bar services, which in- includes like keyboard maestro, text expander, all that stuff. Yep. Because Bartender. those are the things that I feel crippled by not having on my Mac. Because yeah. usually they're modifying <laughs> the user experience on the Mac. Whereas applications are more like, I can do a lot of stuff with the default applications. And then when I get frustrated enough, I'll install BusyCal, right? Instead of the regular calendar. Yep. I, I have that in my top list. It's, uh, I, saw, I talked about one password. Alfred Sublime Text Slack has actually risen up to the almost like service level for me. Like I just use it so much yeah, for work in here. Yeah, but I almost going web app only on the new machine hmm. rather than the app. Like I, I got to the, like I used the web app for a while and then got to the point where I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll use the app. But there's very few things that the web app can't do. And in fact, there's a lot that the app can't do that the web app can, like control settings for a team. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just like having the the app a lot. And usually when I was using the web, I would use Fluid or something to make the web app an actual client app anyway. So uh, I like the the Slack client a lot. I think it's good. And I like having something that's not in a web browser. I'm not a huge web web app guy. Um, if they're, they're good. I think the Slack web app is yeah, but it's stellar. but it's got to sit in a in a tab, or it's got to sit in my browser, and and I'm closing my browser a lot, and it's just it's never convenient for I'm, me. I'm, I don't ever close my browser. In fact, I have a keyboard maestro, the inter macro that intercepts the command Q when I'm in Safari. It says, <laughs> "Are you sure?" <laughs> That's a great idea. I do that for Mailmate. I do that for Safari, and uh, I do that for Sublime Text because I I'll accidentally like not thinking. Not noticing that it's the foreground app. No, that's and a great idea. And then I'll command Q, and I'll be like, oh, I didn't mean to close Safari, and now I have to launch it and wait for all the pages to load. Yeah, I'm going to need to do that, too. That's a great idea. Um, so the other things I've installed uh, after Slack, um, I start syncing my photos. Um, once you're signed in iCloud, that starts happening because um, I'm using the new Photos app. Uh, BusyCal gets installed next. Skype, because I use it for talking to you and work. PopClip is something that... I don't really notice until I don't have it anymore. Uh, have you ever used that? I used it. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. I, I uh, actually ended I'm up too, using I'm it quite a keyboard, bit. I'm too keyboard. Too much keyboard guy. Eh, I, I guess I can see that. Um, I use it because it does a lot of really kind of cool stuff, like give me word counts and letter counts and stuff like that. Um, and then once that was all done, I turned on all my, my Dropbox text editors directors. do that. So. Yeah. I, I really did try PopClip for a while. I just didn't stick because I like to use keyboards a lot. And I don't like things popping over top of my stuff. Yeah, I guess I just got used to it. I, I quite like it, actually. It's a DevonThink plug-in. There's all sorts of cool stuff that I'm doing with it. Um, and and then I started installing the tier, I call them tier one apps. Those are like the things that I needed to have. I see a lot of them in, the, in your list. It's uh, um, MailMate. You're just going to read them out of my list? No, I'm looking at my list. <laughs> okay. Pathfinder. Do you have Pathfinder in your list? Yeah. Uh, Pathfinder, MailMate. Uh, I use Box, uh, Box.com to sync documents at work, so I set up the Box Sync. 
uh, Cloak, which is my uh, VPN. Install that. Uh, Bartender, which by at this time, I started getting a whole lot of things in the menu bar, so I installed Bartender. Yeah, I just go ahead and install it from, from the beginning. Um, that way, as, as I'm setting things up, I can just, just say, go ahead and right assign this to <clears throat> yep. be down on Bartender. Uh, then Backblaze gets reinstalled, and if since this is a new one, you had told me that you have to go in and, and delete your old backup and reinst- redo that process, so I, I, they yep. have a pretty good um, a help thing on the webpage, so that's what I did. Yeah. Um, and then it's like all of my keyboard stuff, Keyboard Maestro, Text Expander, um, and then YNAB. Uh, we talked about that in our in our money show. Uh, I use YNAB with my wife, so that needed to be installed there fairly quickly. Um, and I have this super nerdy thing. As I installed each one, I put an asterisk in front of it so I knew where I was. Um, if there were settings that need to be configured, I made a note of that. Uh, just because I don't like, like once I'm close to being done, I don't want to open an app and then find out that it's not ready you know like i needed at work or something and it's like oh you have to log into this thing i'm like oh gosh just no don't do that uh the other thing my scanning software by the way why do do they need to have a 475 megabyte install for the scanning software for our scanners (laughs) why isn't it easy to re-download it yeah it's it is easy to re-download it's just no the scan step download is usually a pain in the butt it's to get um such a hassle it has a bunch of apps in it that's yeah why. i know it's just i mean ridiculous it, has the, to me. it has the ocr it has some some ocr software that comes based on which version you get you may have the abbey fine reader that comes with it and all kinds of other stuff yeah it so just seems I, ridiculously large it is um, a pretty large download yeah, <laughs> that's true uh screens i don't know if you use screens but i like screens nope. a lot um, Fantastical, I see that on your list. Uh, GarageBand. Oh, so then I started installing the, the things that are kind of like, I'll need these things eventually. While I have time to do them, I'll do them. So it's Coda, which I use to maintain my website. DevonThink, Fantastical, GarageBand, Ableton Live, which I do our podcast on. Levelator, which I use for the podcast. Um uh- Maybe let's let's not list everything. Okay, well they're in the list <laughs> anyway. So they'll be in the show notes. Yeah, but that's, okay, that okay. seems that's super fine. boring to me. I could, I could list all my apps for you, but I don't think that you'll actually care all they're that very much, much similar. about them. Almost exactly the same, actually. But I, but I would say um, breaking things down between services, like important services and applications, are crucial, and then understanding. So Hazel is, is one that I think takes some consideration. So you, I export my Hazel rules yep. um, purposefully. So Hazel is one of those services that for me runs and has a lot of power, like power to do really bad things. <laughs> so <laughs> I export all the rules and, you know, take notes on what it's doing kind of, you know, so I know what I'm going to be setting up. And then when I set it up, I'll be very careful about, you know, think about how Hazel works. It looks at a folder and looks for things that match a rule that it hasn't seen before. That's very often what it does. You install that on a new machine, guess what? Everything in that folder it hasn't seen before. So be be careful. Yeah, it's very true. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit a lot and do a lot of stuff. So, for example, I have Hazel rules that upload to my web server on my host. That's how I post stuff to Mac Drifter, right? Mm-hmm. I 
I set a um, multi-markdown header tag that is at post, and then Hazel recognizes that and then pushes that up to my SF, my server through SFTP, through a Python script, and then it's there for the world. I don't really want to post, you know, my uh, shopping list for my <laughs> wife's birthday and Probably a bad that idea. kind of stuff. So I take uh, great care when I re-enable these rules, too. And some, some of the rules matter what order they run in in Hazel, so that's important to make sure they're in the right order. So that's one of those things I think takes, if you have that kind of time, uh, pay attention. If you don't think you have, you ever have that kind of time, when you set up new Hazel rules, take a screenshot and save that somewhere. Yeah. So that um, you, so that I you would remember. also recommend while you're setting up Hazel rules, do it with an eye towards eventually having to do this again. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I would say that about any, yeah. <laughs> any application. Well, you know, going to your thing where it reprocesses a folder. I have a thing that does a similar thing. I have a published directory. And when it sees a file there, it looks for the, the YAML header and does something with it. But when it's done doing something with it, I move it out of that folder. So if for some reason Hazel gets confused and tries to do it again, uh, yeah. there'll be nothing there for it to do. So, you know, putting Hazel in a bad position <laughs> is a bad idea because it'll just it'll do what you tell her to do, you know, and uh, sometimes that's not what you want. So and when you're setting but, up the rule, think think through those uh, circumstances. I have a lot of disabled Hazel rules, too, yeah, where I I, too. I've created them. I use them for that's one thing I think people don't take advantage enough of Hazel is it it doesn't have to be permanent a permanent rule that always does the same thing over and over. Sometimes I just want to organize a folder and I, it's way easier to just like let Hazel tear through it. Yep. Yeah. I, and, I did the same I don't, thing. I don't uh, want to delete that rule because hey, use it's it a good again. starting point for somewhere else. Yeah. I use it for a photo organization, but I don't want it always watching a folder for, to, to organize it. I, mm -hmm. I do it in, you know, monthly. And so what I did was just, uh, when I'm ready, I move the things that I want to organize into a folder I turn on the rule and I sit, I sit back and watch. Yeah, I, I actually keep mine running all the time so that I have this whole thing. I don't use photos. I don't use that stuff. I use the stuff through my Synology. So when DS Photo on my phone, when, when I arrive at my house, DS Photo automatically uploads all my new photos. And then my Mac, if it's on, will be sitting there and it'll see the, those changes on, the, on that folder and automatically file them into the correct folders. It's, I've had that runner for a long time now. Yeah, photos are, so photos are the, the a thorn in my side. <laughs> the other um, thing that I would say pay close attention to if you have time in advance is your Python install, if you're a Python person. So yep. make sure that you know which packages are installed. And there's you can there's a bunch of ways through pip or whatever. You can, you can create a list of what do you have installed of all your, of all your modules and everything. So that's a that's a pretty because and that'll be something you'll need to do before Hazel if you have complex Hazel rules like me <laughs> because I have Hazel rules that use they use Python all kinds of Python <laughs> yeah. and you know if I start Hazel up it'll just start puking errors into my console that's helpful that that's also a recommendation when you first start Hazel for the very first time you start enabling rules have your console open looking at the Hazel console so you're you're not surprised by suddenly like things aren't working uh, then for the applications you know some applications i think are really prime for me like pathfinder because it it enables me to do the process of application settings and configurations easier 
So I, that's one of the very first things. One thing that was pointed out to me, which is new to me, and I don't think I want to hassle with just because, I don't, I don't know, probably because I'm old and it's new to me, homebrew cask, which is pretty cool. It's for mm. the Mac, and you can more or less install it and set up a script that says, like, these are all the apps I want. And it knows how to go get all of those apps and install them. That's so, kind of it, interesting. It I've never a, heard of that. It knows a ton of different apps by default. There's all kinds of warnings all over it. Make sure you know what you're doing. But, uh, you know, it's a way to get your apps without having to going out manually getting the installers. could be a pain in the butt, especially if you want the newest installers. Like, you know, call recorders a pain in the butt to get, right? Because you, you have to have the original email and... I've installed it, is, it so many times in the last three days. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of a pain. Things that aren't on the App Store can be kind of a pain. Even stuff on the App Store can be a pain because, like, if you have a long purchase list and then, like, there's a bunch of apps where I trans- transitioned off the App Store to direct purchase and remembering which that I, oh I have a license for that and I need to get the direct purchase version because that's better because it doesn't limit where the file can be stored or you know whatever yeah I was going to bring that up um, because that is a big one uh, and f- the, the reason why it's a big one is in some cases I've downloaded Mac App Store apps and then uh, due to rules changes or whatever I decided that the, due to rules yeah due to rules uh, I went back and, and downloaded it from their website. And there are certain companies where if you have the app installed from the Mac store, it sees it and then it, you know, enables your license. So Coda 2 is one of those things. Well, in order for Coda 2 to upgrade itself, I need to install the Mac app version, Mac Mac app store version of it. You know, so there's all of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, I got to get I have to get this thing installed first and then I have to register it. And then this thing goes over and finds it. And uh, it's, so there's a lot of stuff like that. that you have Here, to Here's another, another thing that I would say, if you're an Evernote person, you can use Evernote for this. I use the Synology note station for this. You can typically put installers in those notes. So you can have a note for like, here's my installation list. So I have a checklist now in uh, the Synology, um, what's it called DS note or whatever it is that is these, this is all my software that I want to install. And then I have a bunch of installers that I squirreled in there too, to just to make my life easier. I just click it, it downloads it. It's on my Mac, but it's all there in the installer note. Evernote, you can store binaries. So you can store DMG. I had no idea. That's crazy. Put it all in there. So that can make it easier. Again, this is all stuff. If you know in advance, you're going to be doing this stuff. You might as well get yourself in a position where, you're good, you know, good to, to get going on it. Yeah, not a bad idea. Um, I'm not an Evernote guy, but there are definitely ways that we can do that using, you know. Evernote does cool stuff. stuff. I mean, uh, I'm not, I just, I'm not it just saying I'm against it or anything. I'm just saying, you know, I don't use it. So to get started using it, and for that reason, it doesn't seem like something I want to get back into. I know here's, you use it. Here's the area where I say usually ends up causing a lot of pain and is difficult to prepare for. And that is all the settings that aren't like external files and libraries or, you know, like the sublime text. We talked about those settings are stored in a file folder. You can just drag those over and you're all set to go. There's all those ones in like the, the built-in preference, the preferences in OS 10, right. That 
usually burn me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like the, one, the one that got me this time was um, three-finger drag on Windows. Do you use that? Mm, on the I'm trying to think about uh, like No, I don't you, use that you one. Have the mouse, you have the mouse over um, a window uh, header, and you can just three-finger and drag that window instead of clicking. You ever use that? Oh, man, you're missing out. So that setting is a little bit unusual to, to enable. It's not like directly there in the trackpad setting. You have to go into the accessibility oh, yeah. setting and then enable the three finger drag. And that drove me nuts not having that. And I eventually like had to do a, do a web search and say like, okay, where is this thing? Cause I can't, I keep trying to click and drag on the top of a window and it's driving me nuts because now I have this force touch pad. Right. And I was, oh, right. I was force touching through <laughs> the, the first click. That's one of my complaints about force touch in general. If you're used to clicking and you have gorilla hands, it's really easy to, to push all the way through to a force touch. And uh, I kept doing that when I meant to just drag things around. So th- like knowing where those things are is a pain. And so if you can document it, awesome if not just plan that you're, it's going to take a while like to get your dock set up so that like i like my dock to hide when i'm not using it it's like that takes that you have to go in and manually do that yeah um, i mean that's the, that's dictation. the other reason why i did this this reinstall text file like i used it as a kind of the recipe to do this this install but I also noted when I had forgotten something, and I also noted when yeah. I had to do something differently, and when this happens again, and it will happen again. <laughs> I can go to this thing and say, "Oh yeah, that's right, I got it back." Yeah, up but my you have to remember to do that over maybe the course of months. Yeah, because you I may know. not use something for a while. Yeah, like, it's real easy to forget about turning on file. I use File Vault, right? It's real easy to not remember to turn that on. Yep, and I like to have it on. Or the dictation one was one, I went to do the dictation command, you know, the built-in OS X dictation. And nothing like, worked. What, what's going on? Why isn't this triggering? Oh, yeah, that's a completely separate. And it, it wasn't a matter of like, oh, I forgot to turn that on. I was like, it's broken. It felt broken. It should, I just yeah, you're forgot just so used that to that's it a at separate that point. setting. And that's one of those things that's kind of like, yeah, you probably eventually remember it, and then you have to remember to go down and document that too. So it's yeah, it's whatever. It's a good idea to oh, write it on there. The one that's really a kicker is the services menu. I don't like use that. it because I never know what's going to be there when I go exactly. to Exactly. Like, well, you see my note on the services menu? No. In the show it. notes, it's a shit pile with diamonds. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, there's so much awesome stuff in the services menu. But it's way more crap than anything. Unless you go in and go in into the preferences for the services menu and turn things off, it's just going to be this giant list of junk. Yeah, or, or depending on the app, sometimes there's it. nothing there, which is why I never go to it. Because it's like, well, it's dependent dependent upon the data that's selected. I right. think is the way it works. Yeah, right, I believe that's Se- the case. If it's a URL, or if it's text, or you know, a web page, or whatever, and a file in the Finder, that's how it decides what's available in that menu. But there's some awesome stuff in the services menu that get installed with applications on your computer that you typically don't even notice. 
until you're looking at this list of like 300 things in your services menu and going like, where's the one that just says smart quotes? <laughs> like add smart quotes. That's all I want. Yeah. Well, I used to use Brett Terpstra's uh, markdown tools up there. Uh, I used to use yep. them a lot when I was writing blog posts because uh, he had something that would take all of the tabs in Safari and turn them into uh, links in reference links in my blog. Uh, and Sometimes it just wouldn't work. Sometimes I had it misconfigured. Sometimes I had reinstalled recently and forgot to put it back in. Oh, it's just so yeah. That's a it's another right, good so, one to keep track of. So go into go into your preferences for OS ten. Look at keyboard and then look click shortcuts because of course, and then click services and you'll see the whole list and that's where you go in and you set up all the keyboard shortcuts. That's the other thing that just expect it's not going to work exactly the way you remember because those keyboard shortcuts won't sync between your different Macs. You have to set them up again. Yeah, we're getting spoiled with things syncing up, aren't we? I know. <laughs> this is this is definitely one of those things that I think yeah. absolutely should sync between Macs through iCloud. Is yeah, the services no, and based on who that you are, an right, obvious option. setting exactly. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yep. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff in there that if you if you start off by just disabling as much as you can possibly disable, services become really useful at that point because now you you right click on a selection or something like that, and there you go. You have like five or ten things that actually make sense for you. Well, I actually used a service the other day that I had never used before where I was following some help uh, advice on a website. And the guy said, select this text with your uh, your cursor and go to services and say, uh, reveal in Finder. And like you said, like because it was context sensitive to know that this text was a path, it opened up you know, right. where it's supposed to go. And that's I was neat. like, holy crap, I've never seen that that's before. Pretty cool, but that's right? great. Yeah. yeah, pretty smart. Yep. So this this year for my Python install, I just wanted to you know, give a shout out for Anaconda, which is a um, version of Python that you can install that has like all the bells and whistles for cool stuff that you would normally have to go install manually with Python. Plus it installs a separate Python instance and all that stuff. Take a look at it. If, if you're a Python person, it's cool. I like it. I'm glad I, I went that route instead of manually installing a bunch of packages. It's a com it's I'm technically commercial, it right but, but available free for users. So. Kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, so how you how you liking your, your Mac setup now? Well, um, I feel like it took um, about eight hours. I did some... I, I wrote it down when I started because I was cur I was curious. It always feels like it takes a lot longer, um, but eight Wait, hours. Was that like two hours of regular work and then six hours of reinstalling Skype? <laughs> no, Skype. The Skype fixing was just yesterday. That was all day yesterday. <laughs> okay, so that was more than eight hours. Yeah, so I had everything put back on my machine in eight hours, and then yesterday Skype was not working. And that got resolved after many hours of troubleshooting. And you actually were just like, start uninstalling stuff. <laughs> so yep. I started thinking, well, what did well, I because install? Because it was weird. Because what it was is that you couldn't unmute your other audio sources. Correct. Right? Yeah, it was. It was, And that, that to me sounds completely like software. Yeah. Not, not a hardware issue, but... <laughs> 
Well, I knew of it had to it be was soft- Skype. Yeah, of, course of course it was Skype. So I knew that it had to be. So at first I thought maybe it was hardware because I was at work and I didn't have any other audio input sources. When I got home, I plugged in the podcasting mic and I still didn't, I still wouldn't recognize it. And so at that point, I just knew that I had to just start uninstalling things. And eventually, uh, it, and, and I actually, so I did two things. It was probably a combination of the two. I deleted my audio settings. I deleted or uninstalled Skype and call recorder, and I flashed my NV RAM. And then I came back in, I reinstalled Skype, and everything worked. So, hey, whatever. I think the NV RAM has something to do with it as well. Um, but it was still a very painful and aggravating process to just try and figure out what that was because everything else had installed fairly painlessly. Um, I was glad that I had saved a lot of the settings that I had uh, previously mentioned because uh, it enabled me to get things up and running pretty darn quick. Yeah, so let me let me just wrap up quickly with the PC piece. Oh, yeah, go ahead, because uh, I haven't done anything with a PC I still in a use a PC at work, and uh, when I'm forced to, I will get a new one and be completely hosed because... It's a lot different in a in our enterprise environment. We don't get syncing through Dropbox or any of that kind mm, of stuff. So I try to use portable apps where possible. That makes it a lot easier. And I try to keep the portable apps in like a network drive or something like that that auto mounts. And so like Chrome uh, is I use portable Chrome. I use something called Faststone Capture for screenshot and video recording on Windows. It's a really, I think it's nice and it's pretty cheap and uh, it has a portable version. So that's awesome. Runs in the little tray down there and does everything I need to do. Auto hotkey is one that I use very lightly. It's similar to text expander. It'd be like if text expander and keyboard maestro had a baby. It would be oh auto hotkey. <laughs> Although I think auto hotkey came before, maybe before text expander. I don't doubt it came before keyboard maestro. That's been around for, I don't know, since dirt. The auto hotkey macros are, in a way, are nicer than text expander hmm. snippet files because they're individual little text files and you can keep them anywhere you want. And the way that they start up is you, you can either double click them or you can set them as startup items. So I keep those in a folder on a network drive and uh, it's easy to, to move to a new machine with those. That's about it. Basically, I keep almost nothing on my local machine that I don't have to have on the local machine. Makes sense. Oh, I wanted to mention one. Such a nightmare getting into the machine. Everything's <laughs> yeah, broken. Everything's all my, broken. All my database, can I, I use Toad, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. Any, any application that ribbits is pretty terrible. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, I actually it, want to mention one other sucks. thing related to Text Expander because I, it came up. I was following folks on Twitter and it came up and I, and I was commiserating with them. Um, it turns out I never upgraded to Text Expander 5 um, because everything I need to do still works in Text Expander 4. Yeah. But somebody was saying you that it. Get all- rid of the warning that you, you should upgrade. Yeah. That's one reason to upgrade. So it turns out, and, and our friend Nate was complaining about that, I just turned off the, the check for updates and that stopped happening. So yeah. um, 
it's it's hardly ideal, but I guess when it checks for updates and says you're on the wrong version, I guess that kind of makes sense. But um, yeah, it, Text Expander 4 does everything I need it to do, and I don't see a compelling reason to switch yet. So um, plus, I was in the in the throes of just getting things installed, and I'm like, I don't want to think about spending 50 bucks on another app that basically does exactly what my current app does. So um, I just passed right over. Yeah. I don't know. I, I look at it like I've used it for ages, and I don't mind paying paying for it again. But on the other hand, um, I don't like the pop up thing. I I know like one time makes sense, but over and over, I think is dumb. Which pop up thing? The telling you that there's a new version. Yeah, of, that is that, hassle. You, that you have to buy. And I think that's that was like a bad bad way to do it. Um, well, I also noticed but that there's... I really like the app, and it, it does what I need to do. And, no, and for me, too. It's going to receive new features. Yeah, so. I'm... I'm, uh, I'm I apparently hate money. You know, so if, I, if there's an app that I use every day, I generally try to support the uh, developer. In, but I was... I guess the issue with this was I was in the throes of getting my machine set up, and I didn't want to sit here and think, okay, well, what are the new features in 5? Should I do this? Oh God, I don't, I don't even know where my credit card, like, you know, it's just like, there was a thought process I didn't even want to enter into. I just want to get things up and running and then I'll consider if I want to upgrade at some point. But, um, so I'll throw, I'll throw one more out there, sure. which is probably only a handful of people will care about. I use little snitch a lot and Can what little snitch what does, does. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know what it does. It watches all your network connections all the time and kind of reports on them. So on a new machine, it can be super annoying if, if you haven't done this. On a new machine, basically every connection that goes in or out to your machine, it will pop up and say, hey, whoa, whoa, uh, this, this service wants to talk to this thing, right? And a lot of times it's normal stuff, like the stocks plugin wants to talk to, you know, from this framework wants to talk to Apple and get the information about stocks, even if you don't have it running or the weather framework or whatever it is, we'll want to talk to Apple to get the weather um, software update for the Mac. We'll want to talk to something. So most of those are pretty benign, but then there's a lot of stuff where like apps, for example, Skype, I don't want Skype to talk to Facebook. Skype automatically talks to Facebook. If you don't know that because you're not running little snitch. Are you serious? Yeah. So I don't really want it to. I have no need for it to do that. I don't have a Facebook account. So I just say, like, when it pops up and says, hey, Skype wants to connect to Facebook, I say no. And then I never see that again. And and it never does. And the app works just fine. Google Chrome is another one. I haven't installed it yet because I haven't needed it. I know I will eventually because my stupid gas company doesn't work in Safari, <laughs> like their website. I have to. I always have to go to Chrome to do it. So... That's one that I'll eventually I'll have to install if I ever want to do something with the with my gas company. But once you install Chrome, even when it's not running, it is constantly talking to Google all the time. Google Updater specifically. Really? Like every 30 seconds, 60 seconds, it's making a call somewhere. And I I don't want it to do that. Usually it's calling out to the updater. So I have um in Little Snitch, you can basically have some, you can have your main rules, and then you can have different sets of rules based on different parameters of like, okay, well, I'm connected here, or whatever, I want to use these sets of rules. So I'll have one that is basically no Google. 
And that means don't let anything call home to Google while I'm using this profile. And then when I switch to my Google Chrome profile, it's fine. I say, yeah, temporarily allow this, all this stuff. And now it talks to the updater and gets the updates and everything's fine. Chrome works perfectly well, just like that. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you I'm have not to remember to back up your configuration, which I forgot. Yeah, I saw <laughs> so, that in your notes. <laughs> yeah, the first few days are really, really annoying with Little Snitch if you haven't backed up your configuration because all these rules that you've developed over three years are constantly popping which up. Which could be to your hundreds face. of rules. You know, every piece of software will you know, pop up and, and when you launch, it'll say, Oh, you know, I want to make this connection. And you have to tell it temporarily allow forever, allow, allow on this domain, allow for the subdomain, allow on this port. Like you, there's all kinds of granularity there. You can put it in pat in like a passive mode where it's like, just allow everything for now and don't bug me. That's fine, but I don't want to run it like that permanently. Right. Interesting. So it's it's a I love little snitch. There, you find out so much stuff. Like, do you know how many websites want to talk to your machine? Like, <laughs> like they want to connect to your push service for push notifications. Even if you aren't allowing push notifications, it will still talk to your push service and try to register itself with your push service. So I just block all that stuff. Man. I guess one of the reasons why I haven't installed it is because I'm kind of almost afraid to hear that stuff. <laughs> it, it's sobering to see yeah. how many apps want to connect to Paddle. You know, that service that you can buy apps through? Yeah, I, I only I have one really app through I really want you connecting to Paddle unless I'm registering your software. So I'll temporarily allow it, I'll register it, and then I'll block it after that. Interesting. I might have to look into that because, you know me, I'm... I'm kind of on the brink of utter paranoia. I'm always kind of teetering on the edge, and I feel like that would push me over the edge. It doesn't even have it. anything to do with paranoia. Don't be using my bandwidth to do all this stuff that isn't helping me. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, care true. that you want to track that I'm using the app. Like, that doesn't service me at all. So don't use my bandwidth for that. Very it, interesting. It, it, it's not entirely paranoia. It's It's partly just, like, I want to own my machine, and I want to decide, like, if I'm not getting a benefit out of Skype talking to Facebook, then don't don't keep talking to Facebook. Like right now, I'm looking at I have a little menu bar um, indicator for Little Snitch, and you know it's telling me there's tons of stuff going on right now from Skype that it is blocking. 325 calls still seems it's like it's just working. Constantly red, and Skype is being blocked this whole time and that's all data that otherwise Skype would be transmitting back and forth with somebody <laughs> I don't know I can select it and figure out what they're what they're chatting about but uh, I don't really need it to be doing that to to do you ever and this is kind of get getting into done. a little snitch show which almost sounds like we need one <laughs> but uh, do you find that things don't work sometimes and then you're like oh why isn't this working and then you realize you blocked <laughs> something a month ago and yeah I did that on my wife's machine I installed a little snitch for her and she I told her about it and told her how to deal with it but she started denying things or did something that basically <laughs> denied some really critical services and then pages went and load yeah, I can see like, that happening. Web pages wouldn't load. Uh, you'd go to the App Store app, and it would be just a blank white window because she had denied it connecting to the App Store. <laughs> she denied it, it actually getting out. It doesn't say, like, I can't connect. It got the initial handshake, but then it couldn't get the content because that was stored somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, it was awesome. 
<laughs> you know how long it took me to figure that out? Yikes. So I don't know that I'd want to get this and install it on my wife's computer because of that I reason. I would say no if you're not an experienced user of Little Snitch. Don't install it on anyone else's Okay, computer. so just buy it because you're costing me another $35 here, but I kind of feel like I almost have to buy it. Yeah, and Objective Development's I mean, a really good company too. Oh, yeah. They make they make excellent stuff. Yeah. They make... Um, what is it? Uh, launch bar, right? Launch bar, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're they're pros. They're they're also a pretty class act. Like when it comes to support and um, you know, they obviously care about users because look what what they make. Right? I think they yeah. just released an app that monitors your machine to see if anything uses the microphone or camera. Yes, they did. And uh, I forget what it's you. called. There's a kind of a cool. I mean, that's that's pushing the the paranoia even farther. Um, but it's still uh, kind of neat. Yeah, anybody monitoring my camera is pretty sick. They, yeah, they, exactly. They need more help than, than I do. It's called Micro Snitch, by the way. <laughs> yeah, pretty neat. So, all right. Cool well, stuff. now you just. So, what do you think of this the, beer? Um, let me see. Uh, it's I've been sipping it throughout. It's actually very um, sedimenty. Uh, it's got a yeah, lot my, of. So mine's up to sixty-six, and I don't really enjoy it at this point. I'm actually okay with it. It's not. Mm. It's not what it was in the beginning. No. I thought it was refreshing in the beginning, but it's it's got a little bit of a maltiness. I just don't like how the flavors mix now that it's warmer and just doesn't do it for me. I'm looking forward to to having something else. So, do we have any well actually this week, Jeff? I don't think so. Um, we do. We do. We do. Okay, what do we have? Uh, we have. A bunch of people writing and asking us if they want to send us beers. Oh, yeah. I would say, like, hold tight. That's cool. You guys are awesome. But let us figure out how to handle this. Because, like, the way we do the beers for shows is we'll ship them between each other. And that takes timing so that we don't ship them uh, when the weather's really bad or something like that over a holiday weekend. The other thing is, is we want to, we would want to set up a way to receive them that doesn't involve giving out our home address to everybody. Yep. <laughs> no, no offense. You're probably, you're probably not creepy, but there are some <laughs> creepy people and I don't really, really want to do that. So we're working on that. Uh, hold tight. We'd, we'd love to do that just because like, it's fun to, to talk to other people about beer too. So oh, and it would because involve there's us having their that, beer and then telling them what, you know. Yeah. There's certain areas that we simply can't get the beer from as well. Oh, that's very, that's very true yeah. as well. Then more well, actually the reviews for the podcast. Oh, cool. That's you guys a are great nice. idea. Yeah. Man, I forgot about that. That's, that's super, you guys, man. Pretty nice people, yeah. I would say. We have considering some great we're, Considering we're a couple of idiots, I mean, they're being fairly generous to us. Uh, if you want to write reviews, that's awesome. We don't make money from the show, so we enjoy doing it. Reviews get more people to see the show that the show exists. Good reviews help, and uh, you know, if you th- if you really do like the show, then go ahead, go ahead and write a review so people find it. That's that's nice. Absolutely, and we definitely appreciate everyone. I I go through and read them all, so uh, I'm sure Gabe does too. It's really uh, it's it's just great to see him. Yeah, and for uh, Twitter, you were what nerds on draft, right? Yeah, Twitter. We're also uh, tap seller on on Twitter is is our app. Stay tuned there. We have cool stuff coming, but uh, you know, don't want to give it away right now. Exactly. Let's see. Um, yeah, and I 
you know, if if the uh, reviews start rolling in, I've uh, I listen to a podcast where they read the best one every week. So if we start getting enough of them, we might want to oh. do that too. Okay, best <laughs> best like, one. And how's it? How is best determined? Uh, Nicest or funniest? Or uh, I think they just all kind of talk about the, the people on the podcast. Just all say which one do you think this week's is, and they 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 read it out loud on on the yeah. on the air. So it takes effort to write reviews. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, like that's cool. I I forget to write reviews a lot of times. So it really takes like, because you're already subscribed, it takes effort to go go to iTunes, find the show, right? Like log in if you haven't logged in, write a review. Yeah, it, it's not terribly easy. So uh, that's cool. Yeah. So for those of you who've done so, thanks. And uh, email you can write in nod at gravitywellgroup.com. We'll find it. Nod at macdrifter.com. We'll find it. Uh, we get we actually get a fair amount of email. Yeah, we do. We've been getting a lot more email from people that uh, like the show, but I think like don't want to advertise on the show, but want to our listeners to find out about their stuff. I don't know. We may do ads someday. Someday, know. who knows? If, I'm, if, if I'm it's... looking around. It's got to be something I really like. Oh, speaking of something I really like, as far as advertisers yes. go, <laughs> I bought a Casper bed. Like a Casper mattress. Oh, yeah. And for, you know, from podcasts I listen to, they advertise on podcasts. That's cool. They're not an advertiser for us and whatever. Like, I, I just really press. like it. You do? You really? Man, I have for years and years and years, multiple mattresses. I have a thing where if I get more than about six and a half hours of sleep, my back hurts. And hmm. that's just, I just assumed Old I had a bike person. accident. When I, you know, when I was in my mid twenties oh, okay. and hurt my back and I just assumed it was just something I would live with for the rest of my life. And six and a half hours of sleep is fine. This, I don't have that anymore. I switched to this mattress. Honestly, I know that sounds like voodoo or ho- hokey or whatever. My back, like I slept, I slept almost 10 hours what? last night, dude. I'm serious. You're going to, you're going to, oh my gosh. That's crazy. It's, it's a great mattress. It wasn't what I thought it would be. You know, it's part memory foam, part, I think regular mattress or something or futon. Or, I have no idea. And I thought it'd be like memory foam mattresses, which actually kill my back. Hmm. I don't like them. What made you this try it then? not like that at all. Just, uh, you know, some, I would say some advertising on like back to work podcasts from people that I actually like, I think Merlin, I really do trust when he, when he says he likes something, he really likes it. And I think that's cool. And so, and he does talk a lot about sleep. So he knows what he's talking about. So I needed a new mattress. I, I read all about their, on their webpage, their return policy, which was key because they ship it to you and shipping a mattress back. Isn't something I want to do. (laughs) I don't don't want to repackage a mattress. And their return policy is pretty awesome, which is basically if you don't like it, they will take it back. They send somebody to pick it up to donate it to a shelter because I, they don't they don't want to take beds back, right? Interesting. And that was awesome. Whereas some of the other services out there, they the return policy is fine; they'll refund your money, but you have to you have to figure out how to donate it and prove that you donated. Oh. And I just didn't want that type of obligation. Yeah, whereas that's, that's a lot like, of work. Casper seems to handle it. And it was pretty, uh, you know, again, not an advertiser. Really, like the whole process, click, order. It came like a week and a half later. 
in a big box on my door. I moved it in my bedroom, opened it up, cut it, cut open the bag, and it like expanded there on my bed, and it was done. And you needed um, a box spring or some sort of a platform, right? Yeah, I already had a box spring because I was replacing an, a, a, a previous mattress. So if you don't have that, you will definitely need a box spring or some hard service to put it on. Yeah, that's, that's I, I'm starting. Well, so if we were to get one, because you got me into thinking about it, and we've been looking into, into beds for probably a couple of years. And if we do this, we would have to do from scratch, basically, because we want to upgrade to, to a, yeah, a bigger yeah, so bed anyway. So um, we're going to need all that well. stuff. Uh, new sheets, new blankets, new frame, new platform, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So, well, I, I can tell you, beds are expensive. Yeah. So the the mattress is usually half of the expense, in my experience, of getting a bed, unless you buy some fancy. Our bed is as bare bones as you get. It's like a metal frame on wheels with a box spring and then a mattress on it. We don't have like, like a, a frame or anything bedroom set yeah i never did until until uh, i met my wife she had one so it just became ours and uh i actually like it um i like the way it looks but um you know that's just another thing that we we'd have to pay for so it's not something i want to do right now especially given yes old house uh the stove stopped working so now we <laughs> get a new stove <laughs> Dude, we have to do an update on home ownership yeah, at some point yeah, we because do, a lot I just got a new roof. Your your stove just broke. Yeah. I'm gonna be painting my house. Yeah. Like then the follow up will just be weeping, just a, like a yes. like a quiet a weeping and the crying. sound of mm-hmm. sound of paper paper burning, which is the money that's burning. Just the sound of paper burning probably won't be that audible. <laughs> just like a crackling sound, maybe <laughs> us coughing and crying. Uh, All right. So what what are you gonna give this? I'm going to give this a, well, actually, you know, let me see what I put. I actually graded it already. I gave it a B. Mm. So, yeah, I'm saying C plus. C plus. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you're saying that because it's better than average. I'm saying this because I'm, I'm giving it a B. When I look at the other Bs that it has as neighbors, um, you know, I think that's fair. I, I enjoy it, actually. Um, I could see myself drinking more of these. I wish I had more than this one. Um, you know, when I think of other Dewclaw and Cigar City beers, I would probably pick pretty much all of them over this, though. And so it is rated lower than all of my other ones of those beers. But I, I think some of their beers are, are exceptional. So the High Lie is an A-plus beer for me. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to grade it relative to like the other beers produced by this brewery, though. So, no, I mean, like, I'm just me, saying, like, when I look at some, it is. It's it, barely better than average, and mm. it has to be served at the right temperature and under the right conditions. Like, I wouldn't buy a keg of this. Oh, okay. Well, if that's your criteria, I haven't bought a keg of <laughs> no, anything. I'm just yet. saying, like, <laughs> I'm, thinking out, I'm thinking out loud here, and like, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I'm going down to see what else is rated around this. A lot of beers. Uh, I haven't had to wipe my database for a while, so I'm, I'm back up to a, a good number of beers here. So um, I'm actually finding a lot of new stuff is is gathering around the Bs and B minuses. So actually, it's funny. Um, the more beers I'm drinking and cataloging and rating, the the average <laughs> the average grades are going down <laughs> because I'm I'm I'm, I'm less I'm less uh, I don't want to rate too too much stuff too high, and then I taste it, and I'm like, well, 
it's not as good as these all these other great beers I've had. So it, it seems to be kind of pushing the average grades pretty pretty low. I would say that it is um, fairly well placed though in amongst in amongst the other bees. I would not say that it's like you know my C's are beers that I don't necessarily would want to drink again if given the chance. You know what I mean? Like C's are yeah, pretty low. I would low. say this falls into that category. I probably would not buy this beer again. All right. Well, if they had it on tap. I have, there are better sessions from like Notch. Notch Brewing makes great session beers. I've never seen Notch beers though. So it's kind of a, one of those yeah, things. Yeah, I think they're in New Hampshire. They're, they've been expanding a lot. But uh, that's all they do is make session beers. And I think they make some of the most flavorful session beers on the market. I'll have to look for them. I've never seen them, so if I do see them, I'll definitely check them out. Okay. All right. Well, that was a that's a pretty good one. Very timely that we decided to do that. Yeah, very timely. Well, it's funny because I borked my machine first, and I kind of got the impression you were like, "Oh, sucks to be you, dude." <laughs> that's exactly what I was <laughs> thinking. Then, you could, you're and a mind reader. Then what? Two weeks later, you're like, "I don't know what's going on." Kablam. My machine is, and then you're like, "I think it was Xcode." Yep, I don't. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I blew it up. <laughs> oh well. Xcode and command line tools install things that in area in places that are really important yeah <laughs> and if it goes wrong you're just really you're really screwed you're in, you're in rough shape <laughs> yeah yeah well so lesson learned take a backup before you do anything with messing with uh, xcode exactly and go enjoy the rest of your incredibly hot summer day out there i'm gonna go swim oh, you bastard have fun <laughs> talk to you later <laughs> see you man. bye